This episode of Making Games is Fun is with Hayley Joris of Mediatonic. Now, Hayley was at Failbetter for three years, and she's just moved over, and she's been at Mediatonic for about two months. Um, so I went over to their incredibly nice offices in the middle of London. Very, very, very swish indeed. Um, and we talk about that move from sort of a very small team to a, to a much larger one. About I think there's about 150 people in Mediatonic, so it's quite a jump, basically. So we talk about how that feels and how it feels to leave the old gang. We have a massive horror games tangent in the middle of this, which is it's fun. It's fun to talk games and what makes them good. So... In the interest of keeping my interests shorter than they usually are, because they're usually enormous, I will leave it there and just allow you to enjoy the latest episode of Making Games is Fun. I was snooping around. Yep. Doing some detective work. <laughs> Doing some detective work. Um, looking at your, all your education. <laughs> yeah. Which there is much. Indeed. Um, and what was interesting to me is that it seemed you had like a really clear idea. <laughs> I'm real glad that I came across that way. Yeah. Can <laughs> continue. <laughs> like, I always impress someone with an actual plan of what they're going to do with their life. I'm like, what? <laughs> got a plan um so you had the communications design first yeah that's four years a four-year course man yeah many many moons ago that course though (laughs) (laughs) and for many that would be enough but no you've got more more punishment and then you did game design and theory yeah at brunel and this is off the top of my head by the way i've just (laughs) memorized of course Uh, and then an mba what's an mba so that's a specifically a business degree Right. So it's like an MA, right. but focused on business. Right. Um, some sort of joking about MBA jam, but I, just, I, can't, <laughs> I can't work it. I've only got the punchline. I don't have to start. Uh, we'll, we'll come back to It's that. fine. Um, you can edit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes you sound like, oh, you're so, you're so quick. <laughs> um, in creative industry management. So there's a real kind of, it seems like <laughs> you had a plan. Did you have a plan? I think in hindsight... I knew what I wanted to do a long time ago, but I didn't do it straightforwardly. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I had always been interested in games, for example. Like, I'm sure all the people you talk to that work in games, you know, say that they've been playing games since they were like five and yeah, have always yeah. been interested in them, Yeah, which is certainly true with me. But I don't think, especially like... Uh, the t- my timeline I thought that it was like an actual career that you could do and particularly with you know if you're already an artsy kind of person if you have parents that are already worried about you becoming a starving artist <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh if you if I had started with hey mom and dad I'm gonna be like a games designer it's gonna be totally great and it'll pay really well like <laughs> they would have been horrified yeah so instead I did like a fine arts degree first which was graphic design yeah which basically translates to like art but with money yep theoretically <laughs> yeah, that's it, isn't it? That's the one where it's like, <laughs> why don't you do... Yeah, I can just hear that sort of parent's voice. Well, that's good, but why don't you do something that's, you know, it might like, get you a job yeah, afterwards. Like a real like, job. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing, isn't it? With the And then website. I spent probably like, I don't know, a year or a year and a half, not very long, of having an actual graphic design job. Uh, and I was like, you know, I still really want to work in games. I want to work with somebody like that has more narrative to it because, you know, graphic design is great and there's lots of opportunity to be creative, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for. And I wanted to really work somewhere that 
everybody was like happy to go to work in the morning and still really excited about what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and also I always knew I wanted to come work abroad. <laughs> but similarly, my parents were like, yeah, no, you have to go to university here in the States. In hindsight, they would have saved a lot of money if they just let me come over here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it would have made my visa issue a lot easier too. Um, but yeah, so then I kind of combined wanting to go into games and co like coming over here to London with that Brunel degree in game design. Um, and at that point, I had also always known I wanted to do something with business. So I was like, well, I didn't necessarily plan on getting my MBA this soon in my trajectory because all those degrees are kind of like back to back. <laughs> um, but it was something that I saw could help me find my way into the industry because graphic design is not an easy fit into the games industry. No, no. <laughs> but I, I guess this is, this is, this is something um, when I did an interview with Daisy Fernandez, who she did. Oh God, what did she do first? Oh, I'm sorry, Daisy, I forgot. <laughs> English literature degree. Oh, right, yep. Yes, I'm pretty sure that was right. Um, <laughs> but she said that, that you know, she, she was always interested in telling stories, so that mm -hmm. she finds that that really helped what she's doing now. Yeah. Um, and that, again, it was kind of a, a, a you know, parental people around you people around the intervention of like yeah uh, what they thought was an intervention of going, well, why don't you do make sure you've got you know a grounding in this first and stuff and it yeah. was kind of but she actually found that yeah that i, I can apply it because this of course like you know you don't think about that i guess at first but especially with what games are and what they encompass mm. like you can bring a lot of different things to them um Definitely. so and I know that you you were you did the trailers right for the fail better games. Yes, I mean I always feel account. guilty saying that because there are so many other people that actually like actually like did the trailers. Right. <laughs> like I loosely creatively directed the trailers with the help of other fail betters. Uh, yeah. First on the skies, um, but yeah, that was like oh, any time I get to do a trailer is the most fun marketing work, hands down, and definitely the way that I can apply all that I learned from doing graphic design and art process and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Cause I used to also focus on branding a lot when I was a graphic designer. So as a marketer that comes into play all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and that is something that is like really important to a game's success. You might have a great game, but if you can't show people what it's about, why, and, and you know, there's a lot of games now. Yeah, so many. <laughs> so it hurts my head to games. think about. Yeah. yeah. As I get older, my, love for games increases but my time goes down and it's yeah it's painful <laughs> that's why i've been playing one game for the past like two years so right because <laughs> it's just easier yeah. than feeling guilty about my steam list <laughs> exactly and it's like so so you need to have or, or, well it's very useful to have those skills to go be able to tell people very visually and very quickly and very easily this yeah. is what this is about and this is why you might be excited to look at it but and that's kind of how the um game design and theory course also helps because that you know is a really deep dive into game theory so it helps me pull out those like features in games that are going to excite people uh i was going to say usps but i don't, don't want to go too much into like marketing <laughs> jargon even though i think most game folks would like know what that means but <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the ones that everyone knows, the USP. Yeah. Um, when marketing leaks into everyday life. I think there's also a gun in Metal Gear Solid, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's That's right. much more exciting than actual unique selling points. But then I knew that, I knew unique selling point first, and I thought, oh, I can pick up this unique selling point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hmm. um, but yeah, like, so with your game design and theory course, um, so the more of this I've done, and I spent three years, like, photo documenting us two mm -hmm. games and and all sorts of stuff for those guys um and they're like writing the guts of like uh, testing and looking at stuff they're making right now which we can't we can't talk about <laughs> no, i've seen it but we can't one talk of about those it. Oh. <laughs> um, so smug isn't it oh this thing's great but i can't say anything about mm -hmm. it so sorry about that um <laughs> but like it's made me a proper like 
backseat designer. So I'll be sat there in the <laughs> meetings taking photos, but then I'll be going, oh, this is giving me ideas. I want to jump, I want to chip in and go, have you guys thought about? And like, yeah. I know them well enough that I can, I can drop things in, but I don't want to like constantly like i wait mm-hmm. until the meeting's finished and then i go over to someone who's like so what about this going, you know what <laughs> made me think of like because it just it just fills my head with like i need to totally oh, oh god i've got this idea and i want to i want to tell them about it i want to say like and they and like they're pretty good at like they, they get me to test and then and, and ask me stuff what i think but like mm-hmm. i i, I want to tell them all the time what I think. <laughs> but like with that kind of game design and theory Mm-hmm. course you've done like you obviously you spent a very long time really getting into the guts of of, of what game design is and, and what, what's good and what what's bad and so as that stuck with you and do you find yourself like <laughs> always like wanting to jump in and like add, add to that side of things when you see like stuff um, being made? or I is don't... it just me <laughs> <laughs> I first of all I certainly don't think it's just you um but I think Sometimes, definitely, especially like on smaller teams where, you know, you have more ability to have input. Um, But I also it's as a marketer, you automatically feel that kind of like line between dev and not dev. Uh, And you're already kind of a pest sometimes because you're asking them for like key art or screenshots or time to do interviews or whatever. So I'm quite used to being like reined back to appreciate their time. so I try to really only suggest stuff where I know that it's like the right space. So at Failbetter, for example, we sometimes would have design lunches where the whole team, whoever wanted to be, you know, take part in it could have lunch together and we would just discuss different like mechanics that would be helpful. Um, but I suppose the areas where I am more vocal about that stuff is uh, particularly if I'm working on a project where I am part community manager uh, you end up being the voice of the fans and the community. Um, and having that background of like game design allows me to hopefully, I don't know if other like developers would agree with this or not, hopefully suggest like the right, not the right things, but like the things that are more feasible to actually put in the game or like um, really be able to like pick and pull which ideas would fit the rest of our development and things like that. But I don't typically jump in and say, what about this? I'll, unless it's maybe something like that is graphic design oriented, because that's so ingrained in my brain. Not that anyone would put like Comic Sans or something in the game. But <laughs> if I saw something like that, I'd be like, ooh, would, maybe it would be better to use this font. But, you know, all the artists and people that I've worked with over the years are super talented, so they wouldn't do that anyways. But what does happen is anytime that I'm not strictly focused on work. So like if I go to a conference or something where I get to kind of like let my mind wander and like learn a bit, that's when I come up with like 10 different game ideas. So I always have to have like a little notebook nearby and just scribble them all down. I never have time to make any of them, but my brain still loves like picking and pulling apart different ideas like that. So yeah, whenever I go to like Adventure X or wherever, I just end up writing the whole time, but I'm not necessarily writing about what I'm listening about. I'm just writing all different like game ideas. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a simulator that was like for this, you know, different. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, that's interesting though. You saying about that, that link between community and, and devs that must, that, yeah, that's interesting. That that gives you that um, kind of a unique perspective because you can, you can see what they're, you can manage that community and see what the fans want mm-hmm. and then sometimes what they think they want. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Which is definitely a very like <laughs> a distinct line in the sand. <laughs> yeah. And then you can, so you've kind of got that bridge because you've studied the game design so you can go, so I think they want this and, and maybe it's, yeah, it's really hard to not be, use specific examples. To, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You, you, you have the bridge and you can, and you have the knowledge of game design to say, maybe it's in this area that we can incorporate that or improve that or whatever. Exactly. Or sometimes it'll be like, so they're asking specifically for this feature, but with the basic need, you know, the reason they're crying out about it is because of this. So is there another way that we can, you know, give this back to them in a way, you know, in a way that would be pleasing, but wouldn't necessarily be like adding a whole different mechanic to the game. And also like, no matter what game chances are, you know, the, 
fan base isn't all the same. There will be different player types within there anyway. So yeah. you can never totally please everybody. And if you, it, sometimes the most vocal people in communities aren't necessarily the majority either. So it, there's a yeah. lot of things to keep in mind in regards to like feedback. Going back a little bit to the uh, game design and theory course, right? Yeah. Was that the first time you sort of revealed to parents and family? It's <laughs> like this is my actual plan, or, or like when when did when did you sort of talk to them about that? Do you think that is interesting? So I don't think I necessarily like was always very vocal about what I wanted to do. They definitely knew that I always loved games because I was yeah. always playing, you know, Game Boy to PlayStation One to eventually like xbox and things like that but i still even today don't necessarily know if my parents like fully understand the games industry <laughs> right sure sure even if they try very hard uh so i think even when you know i said i'm gonna go to london and do a game design degree i don't know like how they would have even taken that because they were probably just like oh well i guess like she has the opportunity to go do this she has survived thus far, so it's probably <laughs> fine and she can find a career. Um, but I think that they probably just didn't know how to take it generally. Like they just had no concept to to base it on. So it would have been yeah. such a big question mark to them. It's like a certain amount of trust. They have to go, well, okay, she knows what she's doing. This will be like, this isn't our world, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did they ever play games with you? Or was it like a no. Yeah. That's, it, very interestingly like i would say we're from a games family but my both my parents are very athletic right. um and both my sister and i are very like digital <laughs> so okay, okay yeah uh like my dad actually works in like professional sports and my mom has always played every sport ever right. so like the concept of a game on a very broad sense is totally there but i don't I don't think my parents ever have played any sort of digital game ever. Right. Ever. Right. Which is mind blowing. Like I yeah. how how do you live your whole life? Because I know like some of my best friends' parents, you know, will be sitting there playing, you know, Red Dead Redemption Two when I go home to visit for Christmas. So I guess it varies for everybody, but I guess my parents were more like about being outside and doing like yeah. physical things. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Like always had that balance like my dad back in like Commodore 64 and Amiga my dad would play with play with me but um it just dropped off at some point and he wasn't I don't know when he lost interest I guess it just when it got more complicated or something and he was yeah. like ah because he's now now he plays like um he, he plays like he's like Mr. Clash of Clans and you know, stuff like that <laughs> oh like, my god yeah because it's just there like it's because yeah. it's that mobile element right because you can just sit there and do it we also have the tv on with something else and, mm -hmm. but it's like constant and he's just always telling me like yeah i've got like uh <laughs> 2000 dark elixir now and i've got the dragon so what i do is i bring in the hog riders and i do this and i'm like it's not yes man it's yeah like it's funny because obviously then it makes me think of like command and conquer and when i used to play <laughs> that sort of thing right mm -hmm. but it's just it's funny like, if you frame it differently then like people get interested again i think well, I wouldn't be surprised if my dad would have liked playing things like Civilization if he like was interested in it because I know he was like a history major and he's always been interested in different ancient history bits and pieces and he's quite like a factually driven person. So I think he'd enjoy this like some of the more strategy oriented games. But the thought of either of my parents sitting down to like do something digital for more than five minutes is kind of like I can't <laughs> even picture it. Well, it's like so that's I think that's where like we tying this into game design in general like a game like civilization might interest your dad but you would have to sit with him yeah. and run through actually how to play the game mm -hmm. and there's all these um all these little micro assumptions about game design that we are so attuned to definitely as yeah. people play games since we're like four or five that you don't even have to think about them and the, all these like <laughs> visual things and and or small sort of readability things that you just you'd have to go through all of that so it'd be like so why can't i build this thing well you need yeah wood or you need <laughs> like and there's uh you don't have enough 
uh, I, I have played Civ, not very much, but it's like, <laughs> you don't have enough knowledge to build a church. It's like, what yeah. What are you talking about? I don't have enough knowledge to, or you know, your faith levels are too low to yeah. like start this religion and stuff. That would just be too abstract. Definitely. So you might be interested in the broader feel of it. And it's just like, it interests me that how you get people into games that are more, that are involved and, mm. and complex, but whilst avoiding all those little things that we're used to like in yeah. terms of like that's glowing so you it's can pick like it up games common knowledge or even like tech common knowledge Lang- the language yeah. of games right i think that's a big definitely hurdle and i feel like a lot of at least with my parents like a lot of uh people of older generations don't have that sense of play generally yeah whereas you know if you if kids start out with being able to you know play around with tablets or mobile phones or whatever they they don't have those preconceived notions of like well what if i break it or if i delete something very important or whereas definitely my parents like even when you're trying to teach them how to do new stuff on a phone like they don't have that innate curiosity because they're afraid of like screwing something up and i feel like uh a lot of that uh game language you're talking about comes from being able to have that like open curiosity and to play around a bit even if you don't necessarily fully understand everything mm. not being afraid of like fail states and yeah and, yeah and i think the interactivity hurts games sometimes because you i think people ask the question people don't play games ask the question but why why do this why yeah. am i doing this what's the almost like what's the point or you know whereas with other forms of entertainment like passive entertainment mm-hmm. You could still ask that question: Why am I bothering watching this? What's the point? Mm-hmm. What I'm, you know, what am I going to get out of it afterwards apart from being entertained? But because there is that interactive element, so you are, you feel like you're doing something. Yeah. And people go, well, yeah, but what am I going to get out of it? And it's like, <laughs> well, fun. Like you're gonna, yeah. it's entertaining, or you know, it's or a totally different like thought pattern if it's a more narrative game or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's convincing people to not <laughs> think that way, I think. It's, it's Maybe as like an experiment when I go home next time, I'll see if I can try to get them to play anything because it would be kind of interesting just to see what it was like. <laughs> I but I yeah, it would be real hard to convince them like that why it'd be worth their time, I think. And I'm an avid like passive player in regards to like I love watching my friends play games like there are some games that I say I've played but they're definitely games that I've watched my best friend play uh definitely like a lot of Silent Hills for example because there's there's so many games like that that are really good passive experiences uh because your friend can have all the responsibility of not dying <laughs> and you can kind of help them with puzzles or like oh I thought we saw something back there in that room and that kind of thing yeah it's almost like um, in the last episode with um, Polygon Treehouse, we were talking. We were talking about the interactivity of a horror game over the horror film. Oh yeah. Because in the horror film, you're going, "Don't go through that door, Are you stupid!" And then, <laughs> but you have to go through the door if you're playing it. And all, actually, if you're, <laughs> I mean, it depends how what kind of relationship you got with your friends. But you can say that to them: "Don't go through yeah. that door. <laughs> Are you stupid?" You know, like you can almost be the, you can almost tell. Yeah the person who's playing it like you know you can, you can be that person at the side like watching it unfold and be like hiding behind the, the pillow right <laughs> whereas where they're doing it it's almost like a weird mix of like a film and a, and a game if you're watching yeah definitely i think one of the weirdest i'm gonna totally go on a tangent now about oh, no. games we lo- because- i love tangents on this podcast once Horror games are like one of my main, even horror films all about it all the time. Yeah, um, okay. But one of the weirdest experiences I think I've ever had uh, is playing a VR horror game. <laughs> not VR, sorry. Wow, my brain is very slow today. Uh, not, not VR, a Kinect game, which is even more crazy because I think a VR <laughs> horror game totally makes sense. Kin- although I I'd don't... forgotten about Kinect. Oh <laughs> right? my God, my just, the nostalgia flood is just like... <laughs> Well, it's my mind automatically jumped to VR because I was like, that's the new thing. That's what you must be talking about. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean yeah. Connect. Because uh, I don't know if there are many of them. I think there was probably just like one or two. But there was this Connect game. And I unfortunately don't remember what it was called. Um, but it was a very typical kind of like horror plot in regards to there's a group of like teenagers on a train 
going on a holiday somewhere in Europe and the train breaks down and they like end up at a scary castle with some scary characters. Uh, but because it's connect, it's quite active, <laughs> which is a really weird thing for a horror game, especially like pre VR. Um, because for example, there's a boss battle at the end and you have to stab the boss, but it's so <laughs> repetitive in the action, especially because the connect is very limited to motion that we actually had like five people to try to defeat this boss because your arm would literally get tired from making the same stabbing motion over and over again. Can you take over from the stabbing for a bit? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. And that was just such a weird experience for a horror game. Like the rest of it felt really cool because it felt like a really interactive horror movie experience. Kind of, I'm too scared to play any VR horror games, but I imagine that's kind of what it feels like. But just the repetitive physical nature of it was really bizarre. So let's go on our horror game tangent. Um, did you manage to play PT when it was around? I didn't because that's I. So I'm very familiar with like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, but I would mm. say I'm more likely to be the player for Resident Evil mm. and less likely to be the player for Silent Hill. Right, and is that because of the um, <laughs> just the like the weapons you've got access to? Because Silent Hill is so. always like. You don't really have well, it varies, doesn't it? But you don't yeah. really have much of an arsenal. It's more about just getting away, right? Yeah, and I think that's too much for me. Like, <laughs> I feel like I feel more powerful in Resident Evil, especially if it was like Resident Evil Four or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that feels safer. Yeah, but I love Silent Hill games, so I would always watch my friend play. And also, she's quite like puzzle oriented, anyways. Right. She grew up playing things like Mist and Loves, things like that. So she has more of a patience for that kind of thing. Whereas yes. I'm more kick the door down, yeah, go for the headshot kind of person. Yeah. So I think that's why we kind of diverged on those two yeah. series. Resi 4 is a, a strange one because it's more tension than fear a lot of the time, isn't it? Yeah. I remember like, because yeah, it's one of my favorites. and So good. Like, I must have had like, God knows how many run-throughs. Like, I was at uni when <laughs> it came out and me and my friend, we would just, just keep playing it. It would just go through chapter each, chapter or life each nice. right yeah finish straight away get straight again like got so many times just playing through that <laughs> game man like it's so good just just, just never got boring no but, i could um, totally i would play it right now if you put yeah, it in front yeah, of me so yeah i'm like oh, should we, should we, should we? let's get on the let's get on the tv oh. let's go um <laughs> and like it had that thing where the first time you went in the village mm. that was really scary the music is in that bit is amazing Definitely. and it's really and the panic of it and Oh man! Just at the time, the, the, like the animation was good of the of the, of the enemies and stuff, and it was just really oppressive and just a, that small village environment. Right. I still remember the path where the chainsaw guy jumps out at you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I dreaded that because I like obviously you kind of always know because mm. you can hear the sound of it. I, yeah, you've heard people talking about it as yeah. well. And you're just like really tense, like walking down the path, yeah. waiting for the door to like fling open at you and yeah. have this massive guy with yeah. a chainsaw pop out. <laughs> yeah. And he's so wild, like he's just swinging it and he can't see very well. He's got the bag on his head. That's a really good bit. Because you get, because that's what I think it only turns up if you find the shotgun, right? Yeah. If you Which, don't... by the way, I'm terrible at using shotguns <laughs> in games. I'm always like an automatic <laughs> rifle person. So yeah. I was always like, I don't know how to use this. It's just like <laughs> pure chaos. <laughs> I, I always end up being like, I can I can aim from really far or, or far away quite well, but if I'm like point blank, I'm like, how am I missing? Like, it's right <laughs> in front of me, right? And you just go, oh no, no. Because I think it's because like psychologically, you've only got one shot, so you're like, oh, yeah. gotta land it, even though you're just like here. It's like, oh, oh no, did I miss? <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I just quite like that kind of in terms of game design, horror, especially like horror games, and that's really cool because you're like. It gives you this little moment of like, ah, I got a shotgun now. What's up? You know. Yeah. Uh, but then as coming? soon as you pick it up, it's like, well, this is up, and you're like, oh, yeah. fuck. and you're straight <laughs> back down to like, okay, I'm still not in control here. Like, exactly. It's quite a neat, like, yeah. <laughs> That's, I don't think it's as popular over here in the UK, but definitely one of the scarier horror games that we used to play uh, was Condemned. Have you ever heard of that one? Yeah, that's the first person. Yeah, like, it has Malay like, like, thing, right? It, yeah, and it has like a detective kind of vibe too because you have to take like some photos of crime scenes and like follow oh, really? blood patterns and stuff like that. Do you play a homeless guy? I th- at Is one right? point, there's kind of, I feel like there's two 
versions and uh, not versions but there's two different condemns there's at least condemned one and two yeah if not another one yeah and the main character i think the first one is a detective or like a police officer right but there definitely are various like homeless characters and also these like weird emo looking zombie type things that <laughs> right. crawl through the tunnels <laughs> right uh, and usually you have some sort of like crowbar or pipe or something to fight off enemies with. Yeah, I just remember the the gimmick or all the sort of chatter on at the time being that it's quite because it was all this first person melee. It was all quite like brutal and yeah. and, and this kind of gri- like there's a grisliness to it because it Definitely. was all impact and uh, you know and you just sort of uh, just like desperately punching things and stuff. But, but it, I didn't play it, but that's what mm. I know about it. Yeah. It's definitely a game where I heard a lot of people scream properly for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> people that you hadn't heard positive, like positively terrified before. Because I think there's a lot, not necessarily of like jump scares, but more a lot of very dark, confined spaces. Mm. Uh, not, And it's also very fast paced because of that like first person. So it's not necessarily like amnesia or something like that, which is more like slow dreadful terrifying it's more like somebody is literally right in front of you so you need to make a very quick decision and it yeah it does probably get pretty brutal i haven't played it in a really long time but yeah it's games like that that i grew up playing i don't i haven't played as many horror games i don't think lately do you think as you're getting older like the (laughs) sort of uh I feel like my stomach, I can't stomach them anymore. Like, I enjoy them, but I'm like, I'm getting worse at, at dealing with them, I think. <laughs> well, I'll totally admit that, like, I was playing the new Resident Evil game, the uh, Resident Evil 2 remake, and I paused before. Uh, what's his face? Is it Mr. X? Why can't I remember this? Uh, name? Oh, you mean the guy that chases? Yes. Yeah, Mr. I, X. Yeah, Mr. X. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that sounds. Right. I should yeah. know this more as an avid horror fan, but well, that's I'm really with that's me. really confusing in Resi because you've got Mr. X and you've got Tyrant and you've got yeah. Nemesis, and I'm like, which one's which? But yeah, it's Mr. It is Mr. X. I only, I only remember that because the the X gun give it to you things yeah. on YouTube, right? <laughs> so <laughs> where we put the music over it when he turns up. So yeah, and I was loving playing like the first part of it because it's it felt so like nostalgic, um, like just the regular mechanics and having like to go back and forth and get all these like different pieces to you know unlock things and I love all those aspects even though I I was terrified and probably did scream in my flat a few times uh but I don't I like was so nervous about getting to the point where he would come out that I was like I think I'm just gonna put this down for a little bit uh and I'll see if I come back to it especially like because now I usually do play by myself because my best friend that I do play horror games with lives in the U.S. so I feel like that's part of the reason why I probably don't play as many horror games anymore yeah because we don't have that like camaraderie like maybe if I watched her like if I go home for Christmas or something like that but yeah I think there's a huge difference between like segments of a horror film right getting a few friends to sit around together and watch it or like sticking headphones in you're on your own yeah and like <laughs> unfortunately that's how i ended up playing pt like oh I, god and i was i was also home alone as well and i just no. put it on. I, don't, I don't know why you're a madman i just i just <laughs> i mean half i half just didn't think about it pro- properly because i thought i didn't realize quite how bad it oh man because <laughs> it's it's really like yeah it's very full of like it's, it's a little bit jumpy but it's very like uh it's just quite set in reality. So it's really quite unsettling. You know what I mean? I think like it's very like, that's obviously like the huge draw for any Silent Hill type game is the like psychological horror aspect. Yes. Yeah. Um, which, is, yeah, it's why I think it's a lot scarier than something like Resident Evil, which has like general yeah. zombie shenanigans. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And you've got like that little Napoleon guy on four and stuff. <laughs> and you end up like this a bit where you're in, you get on the roller coaster cart to get oh, between yeah, yeah. two bits of the oh, game, and you're like, that. "Okay, I'm not scared anymore because this is just ridiculous." <laughs> exactly, because I always like I love the kind of like traditional arcade feel of Resident Evil games, but yeah, Silent Hill, like, there's just I think that's also I love to focus on like the details of the story, so not having to focus on the actual movement, especially because I'll usually get like stuck on doors or something, because I'll panic if I yeah. hear somebody coming for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and I imagine PT would be like that for me too. Like, I don't know how I, I would have just like had to stand still or something the whole game. Like it would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah. They really build up the dread with the fact that you just keep looping around the corridor. Yeah. And it's really like, 
like it's got a weird purgatory or nightmare you can't get like up from sort of feel it's really something really unsettling about i have to do it again that's how they build it because you're like i think in a in, in most horror games you go right even if you're like having another playthrough you're like i've got to go through this bit oh and it's tense but then you <laughs> get out the other side and you've done that bit yeah but with pt it was like no you're gonna do it again now. <laughs> like but i don't want to do it again <laughs> and again so you always have and i think that's the genius of it because yeah. you just you have to keep doing it like yeah it's very good it's so rough that's and awful I, I um <laughs> I would never play the VR version of it, but I did play a little bit of Resident Evil 7 as well. Mostly because yeah. my friend uh wanted to play it but wanted to watch it be played because <laughs> she was also afraid. Yeah. I think she actually wrote about that in Wireframe at some point uh, too. So <laughs> that might sound familiar to a few people. But uh so it was just me like shrieking in her flat like while she would be making dinner and she'd be like, What happened? What happened? I'd be like, ah, this guy's chasing me. Um <laughs> But that being said, I think there's some more choice because with you know we've talked about a lot of like AAA title horror games uh, like, like PT. But um, I do find a lot more joy now that I'm older in more like indie type horror games. I'm not sure if you've heard of the game Perception. Uh, it has a blind protagonist, and you kind of see through this like blue uh, sonar type. Okay. Uh, thing, which is a great horror mechanic. Because wow. imagine like you can only see if you make noise but something oh. <laughs> something is looking for you. <laughs> oh wow. Uh so that type of like experiential horror indie thing was very appealing to me and the structure of it was more of a like uncover the mystery and was very story oriented. So I found that like so delicious like I think I played it all in one day cuz I wanted to like it was exactly the reasons why I like watching horror films. Yeah. Um but it didn't have as many like terrifying jump scares or like things that would stop me from playing because I was too scared. It was more about like pulling these strings to finally like uncover what's happening to this crazy like haunted house. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it, I think it's a good space. Like an indie space is a good space for horror stuff because you can mess with things like that and, and you know, just be more creative and, and, and experiment with new, new ways of, of, creating horror and yeah i always feel like that's like i don't i'm definitely not a horror film but for anything like that but yeah like, i always found like the exorcist was so affecting because the build was so slow and there wasn't that mm -hmm. you know not thinking oh, i've got to get to the the juicy bits quickly like the build is super slow and, and you know so much about the people by the time it's yeah there. it's immersive emotional horror basically like you know all the things definitely. that happen in it and and the way like the the way the devil takes on like the voice of his mum and stuff like that. Mm. And it's just a reek and like, yeah, and the performance in that is such an emotional bit as well as being frightening. It's emotional at the same time. Yeah. It's really like, and they do the repetition of like going up the stairs to the room, you know, and interestingly, that's the only jump bit in that film, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Where I she think bombs because so. he. Such a classic scene. Isn't that the same scene actually? Because he says, if you know, yeah, because he says, yeah. well, if, if, if you are my mother, what's, your surname because i think that uh, the devil can't doesn't know surnames or can't say them. I don't <laughs> that know, sounds very like, like that. fairy like yeah names are important <laughs> yeah, i don't know yeah. um and then she goes and this is like, <laughs> and it's a good little very sort of sparsely used jump bit. but um i'm getting way off track here <laughs> i told you we were gonna go on a horror <laughs> tangent so <laughs> Horror games were a thing were a thing growing up. Like what are your sort of earliest game memories? Whether Ooh. it's a game you played or so you and your sister played a lot? Separately though. My sister is ten years younger, so she played yeah. drastically different games than right. I played. Right. And also I think we just have just very different she is more of a social player, so she's always played like Call of Duty or Battlefield. Yeah. And now she probably plays like uh, League of Legends or Fortnite, something like that. Whereas I'm more of a single like player gamer anyways. So I think we've always kind of had different tastes. And oh man, when I definitely remember playing those really like NAF games that you'd play in computer class at school that were like just about math or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, but beyond that, when I didn't, we didn't get a computer until I was like 10 or 11. 
which is so weird to think about these days, especially because it would have been like a ginormous machine <laughs> that was horribly ugly and gray. Um, but I think I probably would have started playing things like Oregon Trail. In America, the trail games were like very popular. So there was also like the Yukon Trail and the Amazon Trail. I didn't even know there was more than Oregon Trail. And there's three Amazon Trails. What? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and at the time, I was also really obsessed with animals and like used to collect these big like books of like animal facts, <laughs> like a nerd. Uh, so things like Amazon Trail really uh was totally my jam because basically you'd be like an explorer that has to uh, sail down the Amazon river and take photographs of different plant and animal life. So like you would have certain things you were looking for and there, there'd be certain animals and things that are like rarer than others. And you get points for taking pictures of them. And you also have to like trade with different tribes and stuff like that. Uh, I don't, it's probably, there's probably a lot of not very PC things in that game actually Yeah, for these days. <laughs> But as like a wildlife nerd, I totally love playing stuff like that. Um, and then at some point I was introduced to Civ 4 and that's when I really got into like more strategy games. Um, and I also probably got, I, <laughs> the horrible Sonic trailer came out yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sonic was definitely the first like console game that I played because I had a Sega Genesis and I remember like there was for i think i feel like it was like sonic 2 there was like an additional cartridge you like took and put on the top of the cartridge like so that it was like double cartridge right. i don't remember that I, <laughs> I, my friend had a mega drive um mm. so i played on that but i don't i don't remember that that's i never had a nintendo anything until i got a game boy so i have very few like uh same original kind of uh, nostalgic points that a lot of people have. Just like I've never played a Zelda game, so I have no nostalgia there either. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've played a few. I didn't play them when I was young. I had like Amiga and stuff like that. I never had um, the con first console was PlayStation. So yeah, yeah, it was all like PC and Amiga games and stuff. But um, uh, yeah, Zelda. Like that's my confession. Like I played some, but I've never. I don't <laughs> it's think a scary I've finished confession any. to make. <laughs> I'm like I don't. I'm not that into them. Like I've played them for a bit, but after a while, I sort of go, yeah. So you didn't grow up playing. It's just it's such a weird thing to have that like immediate, like total, yeah, absolute, yeah, like must love this game. But if you grow up <laughs> with it, that makes much more sense. Like, yeah, I think. And then I got like a PlayStation, so I would have been playing things like Final Fantasy and uh, Fable and Spyro. <laughs> All things which have kind of had like comebacks over the years. Yeah, yeah. Or Final Fantasy, which I guess just keeps going. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed, it does. Um, so like, how does that compare with what you're playing now? Uh, you, you said you're playing something for the last two years. What are we, are we talking about? I have been playing Civ Six for the past two years. Oh, really? <laughs> since it came out. It sounded like a confession, the way you it said that. <laughs> It is a bit of confession, I think, like when you work in the industry, because so many people, especially the people that are game designers, you know, like make an effort to play every new game, even if they don't finish it, just so that they can stay up to date with current like yeah. trends and things, which I would love to do, <laughs> but I mentally don't have like the brain space to, whereas uh, something like Civ, I think is because I like to be able to manage something that is achievable <laughs> at yeah, the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And thankfully for me, they always put out a lot of expansions, so it's not like I've been playing the same content for sure, two years. Sure, sure, But it is a bit of like a confession because I always feel super lame when anybody's like, what are you playing now? And I was like, oh, I'm still playing Civ Six, like a strategy <laughs> nerd. And I don't even play very competitively like a lot of strategy people would. I kind of play it more like The Sims where... I just want to have my own little empire and I like, you know, setting up cities yeah. a certain way and having certain um, wonders built and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's more like a utopia game for me. Sure, sure. I can see that. Um, I, I have the same thing in the sense of like, like the last thing I did, the main, like I think I'm, I don't think I can do open worlds anymore because it's yeah. just too much time to sink in, right? It is I, tough. I managed Red Dead two but only because i loved the first one so much i'm like i can't not 
yeah. do this one. But it was a real slog. Well, it's just so huge. Yeah. Like, I it's crazy. was visiting in the States when that came out. So I watched my friend's brother play it for like every time we went over to visit him, he was playing it. <laughs> so I think I saw a lot of it, but just like seeing all the little side quests and things that you could do. It's yeah. just so massive. Like that's, I was like, I would have to take off probably like two months to be able to play this game. Exactly. It's crazy. But um, so I ended up playing things like, um, I actually play Apex Legends the most at the moment. Yep. And people go, well, you got time? You got, have you got time for that? And it's like, yeah, but it's the perfect game for someone who doesn't have time for long games because you can go and have two games of that, half an hour. and Or you can, if you've got more time, you can you can put more into it. But like either way, it sort of builds yeah. towards a progression. There's, you know, your, your levels go up, you know, whatever. But like, it's something you can build on. But if you've only got time for one game, that's fifteen minutes, right? Exactly. So actually, it's the perfect kind of game to just. Play I've heard with. that a lot, actually, from other people too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I used to be similar back in the day when Left 4 Dead came out because I was working as a graphic designer back then, and I liked also having something that I could like easily achieve at the end of the day, and having, you know, like knowing that there's four rounds that you know you have to do or five rounds then it, and you kind of have an idea of how long that's going to take even if you're doing verses like it's a nice little chunk that you can like do at the end of the day <laughs> a lot of people i've spoken to in terms of games as a career nearly everyone nearly everyone has gone i didn't realize you could you could have a career in that like even people like I wanted a career in it. I yeah. thought it looked cool, but I didn't know whether it was possible or how you would go about it. Or there's sort of there's a sort of spectrum between those things. So basically, people either thought it's not going to happen, or you can't have a career in games. Mm-hmm. Like, how early did you start thinking that you wanted to work in games or do some sort of thing? a game's job between like thinking about realizing that oh I could actually do this or I could at least set stuff up to to attempt to do it in the future like for the record I don't think I ever thought oh I could actually do this like in a (laughs) practical way (laughs) I was just like because I I, I'm quite an ambitious person as well so I was always just like I will find a way (laughs) yeah I don't know what I'll be doing or how I'll be doing it but I am sure that I am capable of doing something in games yeah yeah uh, but I think when I first started thinking that it was an actual career path that I could figure out how to do was back in the days when I was reading Edge and seeing all the behind the scenes stuff about the Fable games. Right. Especially like as an American, it's such a, you know, quaint British like <laughs> present wrapped up in a nice British bow and they did such a good job at like with all the crazy accents and like yeah. I loved all the graphic design posters they put in the game and right. I think back you know then there wasn't so much stuff online constantly about like development of games Mm. but being able to see inside those studios and see Mm. you know now maybe it's a bit problematic to look back at studios like that but as a a kid looking to games that I really liked playing and seeing like all the humor that they could inject into the game and like how they interacted with each other and how they would go out of their way to like put in these funny like in jokes and like all the chicken stuff and like yeah. <laughs> like that uh, really inspired me I was like oh people actually like are in an office huh. making a game yeah and it sounds really fun like I want to I want to do that and mm. seeing the world building aspect of it was really intriguing to me because mm. uh, I'd always been interested in that like very generally and didn't really know how to describe it until games started describing it as world building so it's almost like like this, like a podcast like this might help someone else. Exactly. So, yeah, hopefully. So that's a good answer. That's my favorite answer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is important. Um, yeah, no, it is, it is that kind of, without that visibility of, of game dev and, and people working in it, you can't, if, if no one can see it, no one can, what's it? If you can see it, you can be it. You be it. <laughs> what's that phrase? I didn't know there was a phrase, but that sounds about right. If you see it, you can be it, or something like that. Anyway, if it's not a phrase, it is now. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not big on my motivational <laughs> s- slogans, but something like that. But um, yeah, if people don't realize what happens, and if it's if it's hidden, then you can't be inspired to do it, right? And definitely. So I do. I do think it's important to have that kind of layer of visibility, and um, 
that anyone and sort of up and coming like I, I don't know if the problem's gone away you know what i mean in terms of like because i still think the industry is quite um secretive to an extent or yeah. or or yeah and and then also i think that's where a lot of i mean people people are, are assholes anyway but like <laughs> i think it's where a lot of hostility like on the consumer level can come from because yeah. it's just like where's my game mm-hmm. like there's no sense of like how hard it is to make a game or how much work or how well, much the majority of my job yeah a lot of studios um with indie obviously it's a lot easier to have more open development and mm. sometimes is required for financial like if you need an early access yes you know injection of and cash but building a community that way as well and stuff like that by by sort of bringing them on board early and making them feel part of exactly. what's happening which is so important these days when you know 200 plus games are coming out per week on yeah <laughs> yeah yeah especially if you're a new indie and you haven't made any games before so you have no community yeah um but i guess yeah the larger the place becomes it's like it's like you have the issue of um tiptoeing around nda material and 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 trying to be visible without giving away what you're doing in case it changes especially on larger projects because things can all the time change all the time (laughs) so it's like so how do you manage all that like like trying to get things out to the public without promising anything at the same time right definitely like, well, i think as like a marketer uh it's really important to be able to have awareness of a lot of different things that are happening all the time in development which isn't necessarily easy to get um so but just having an ear uh to things to stay on top of what is happening in development then you can get a sense of like this is very likely to be in the game this is probably going to be in the game this is might be problematic later on and just having that like uh spidey sense about different features and different problems almost in a way that a producer might for game development but in this regard it's because you need to speak to people outside of the game development (laughs) And that's a lot of what I was brought here to do at Mediatonic too, because we would like to be more open, but we do work with a lot of partners for our games. So it's no small challenge to figure out how to open up development a bit more. But I think these days, especially a lot of developers want that um, because there is such a desire from players to understand how games are made um, and they want to be able to share all the work that they're doing, especially, you know, there's probably tons of games in AAA that were never made or talked about. So uh, I think it's refreshing for developers to be able to talk about what they're working on because it'll blow the minds of so many different people because it will vary so much. Um, but yeah, it's it's a difficult challenge. Yeah, and it's taken it beyond that um, dev diary thing of going, here's a wireframe. And look, yeah. oh, <laughs> oh, look at that. It's like that uh, one at one stage that was the whole language for like, you're really seeing behind the scenes here because we haven't put the textures on yet. And it's Ooh. like, Ooh. <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of expanding that isn't it like showing the people in wireframe before everything's all glossy and finished without kind of damaging the brand as they say like at the same time you've got to be like look we're human but also you're going to enjoy what we end up with yeah well i don't think there should be such a stigma about (laughs) like things changing i think it's just more of getting people used to the idea that there's a lot of technical constraints that mean sometimes things have to change and for the most part, especially like community members that are more embedded and like active understand that. Uh, but it's I think it's when companies start hiding things or being really precious about things that they're setting themselves up for some sort of community or PR problem down the line. Because <laughs> yeah. we all know that timelines change and tech things change. Like there's no avoiding that. So we might as well be open about it. <laughs> Yeah, it's something when I interviewed Ninja Theory at the start of this uh, this series, episode <laughs> one, if you want to go back, listeners. Um, and they said, like, one of the reasons for doing that ongoing dev diary they did, like, is they could start introducing the language of development to the consumers so that when they, when things did hit a, a roadblock, they could, they could use the language of devs to say, to let, help customers understand what, yeah why it was taking longer or what might not now be in the game because they've realized ah that's actually really difficult to do um there's a series that started on GameSpot called audio logs 
Oh, right. And it had Corey Barlog from God of War explaining about the scene. Oh, spoilers. Big spoilers here. <laughs> I would genuinely go for two minutes if you're playing it. Um, the scene where he... And sorry if no, you No, go ahead. <laughs> um, where he realizes he has to go back and get his Chaos Blades from the old game, basically. And they wanted this whole scene where he goes down the river and, and he's sort of brooding about it and thinking, oh, I've got to go back to my old ways and feel... <laughs> an arsehole again and stuff like that and mm-hmm. and they said oh we wanted to have the whole scene like loaded with like deer being slaughtered by these weird little demons that he's about to fight and stuff mm-hmm. they introduced the first time to make this sort of scene of like almost like biblical chaos right and yeah and they were like and eh, we ran out of budget so we had one <laughs> we had one deer and like one little goblin guy i don't know what they were called but like yeah. little imp guy so it went down from like this massive scene to like oh we've run out of money okay so one, <laughs> one dude um you know yeah. i'm just showing the little tricks about how they they had these lightning flashes because it because physically in the game it's a really long river back to your yeah the starting area so they'd have like a lightning flash and they'd speed up the boat like a, a million <laughs> miles per hour like and so they got there quicker and stuff it's just really like stuff like that it's saying well this is yeah. how stuff gets made and this is like but those are so cool like who doesn't want it? i think even people within games love when those articles yeah. come out where it's like all the hidden secrets about how stuff actually works to like because obviously a lot of game development or probably tech in general is problem solving and sometimes you have to be very creative to figure it out so anytime like that stuff comes up like that i think it's totally worth sharing because people want to know about it uh but obviously you know you may want to balance like the narrative too and wait for when you go into different things like that and give people opportunities to play or that but all those things can be thought of that's why marketers are important (laughs) hire a marketer into indie people (laughs) so you're not far removed from fail better still no (laughs) flew the nest how did it feel is that is that the longest stay you've had a, it is yeah. yeah so far so how did you feel uh flying the nest and saying bye to everyone and it was so weird <laughs> i mean i wouldn't have timed it that way on purpose but i did basically launch sunless skies and then leave two weeks after to start a new job <laughs> so if you see dark circles under my eyes that's why because i haven't had any sort of like recuperation time and launching an indie game even with two marketers was very difficult um but it was, yeah, I had stayed there the longest. So I think I was there about three years, which is by far when I was a graphic designer, I'd only stay somewhere a year, maybe. Uh, and then when I got into games, it was like a year and a half, two years, and then three years. So I'm slowly becoming more of an adult, probably. <laughs> but yeah, it was like, you know, a little family that I'd grown as a marketer with as well. Uh, and it being only 12 people in a small room, you know, uh, three rooms actually because we'd moved quite a lot while I was there um and just getting to know everybody so closely and then just launching a game and you know waving adios was such a weird feeling uh and on top of that (laughs) everybody came down with some sort of London plague the week that I was going so they're fitting for your get for the games there as well right (laughs) I was like they're gonna think it was me (laughs) um some weird spider plague or mushroom something or other yeah um so there were actually only three other people in the office when I on my last few days and we were all in one line of deaths so we were like oh no whatever illness this is is definitely like airborne (laughs) uh so I didn't even get to see a lot of people so that made it even weirder because like my boss Hannah uh was the communication well is the communications director there at Failbetter and uh she had kind of gone on holiday right after the launch so I didn't see her at all after the the launch so it was very like surreal um but I'm literally just across the river for them so I have seen them since then yeah. <laughs> uh because a few other people have also um gone on to other studios after the launch of Sunless Sky so I've kind of been back for different like uh, leaving drinks and things like that with people um but yeah it was such a weird thing and then to go from such a small company to such a huge company because <laughs> failbutter is like 12 13 uh when i left and mediatonic is about 200 now <laughs> so that that's been you know yeah. so i'm getting used to yeah, God, yeah even like i'll uh there's i think 140 or 150 of us here in london alone in this studio so 
it is very weird to go from, you know, practically touching elbows with my colleagues to not being able to see to the end of the <laughs> studio. <laughs> and you've been there for how long now? Uh, not that long, probably just about two months, maybe. Yeah. So you kind of. I feel like I have been back here for longer. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, not only because I think games just work on like a sped up time frame, anyways. Because yeah. you just there's so much to do all the time that you get used to things very quickly. Uh, but I had started my games career here as an intern uh, six or seven years ago, so. I was delighted to find that a good majority of the people that I worked with back then are still here. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So it, that kind of was like a really nice segue for me because it was like kind of like a coming home feeling. Yeah. Which was really nice. Although I really enjoyed uh, one of the producer that I was uh, working under when I was an intern uh, is an amazing guy called Gerald and he's still here. Uh, and he was in the kitchen making himself a coffee in a very like producer like state where he's like only half aware of what's going on. Right. Because uh, he is so busy all the time. And he like turned around and saw me. He's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I was like, I'm here to do marketing. He's like, what? Get out. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You just appear like, I'm back. Yeah. It's like, what? And marketing? What? It's So it's nice to have like kind of started out here and then gone away and done a bunch of different things. Uh, and then come back with a bit more knowledge and uh, hopefully help them solve a lot of like problems that, you know, they might have been struggling without a marketer here. Hmm. So I'm glad that I can like position us in good places and get more like dev diaries out and talk about all the cool stuff that goes on because I think people will be really excited to hear about it. Yeah. And I know and love these people already. So it's a really rewarding and easy job for me to just shout about how amazing everybody is here. Yeah.